The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks tales never fails applies to more than the coin flip. That's Lenny, Amina Kimes, and ahead of a very eventful, exciting, I'd say a pretty, uh, a good week 16, I am joined by a friend of the show. You know him from The Athletic, maybe from Twitter, Deontay Lee. Welcome back to the show, bud. I have to say, I don't think that you've missed with the Lenny pun or joke in all of my guest appearances. So it's much, <laughs> much appreciated, but I'm doing well. And how are you? I'm great. This is a good week. I uh, was like, usually by this time of year, there's like one good game, maybe two meaningful games. And and, and this year, there's really good games, including one that is frankly unreal uh, that you and I are very excited to talk about. And then there's a lot of games that have playoff ramifications because every team is still in the mix for the playoffs. Um, some, I think, with better chances of making some noise when they get to the playoffs than others. But I, as far as far as like choosing games, we had a, a wealth of options to choose from this week. Um, the game that I'm was alluding to is Ravens Niners or Niners Ravens, which we will finish with that game. Uh, I, I I figure we could start with a game that I don't want to call it fraud watch, but Cowboys Dolphins I think are two teams that are very good teams that are um this is their chance both have the opportunity here to beat fraud allegations i will put it that way yes the, my, yes no uh my, my good friend uh, Stephen godfrey who does a split zone duo a college football part uh podcast will call this an anxiety bowl for both fan mm. bases like this is definitely a heavy narrative game yes for both teams and for both quarterbacks i think um, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's some big ramifications in how we're going to talk about these teams as contenders in their respective conferences based on the result. And it's an interesting matchup stylistically, I think. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned narratives because the Dolphins head coach, Mike McDaniel, I think it was on Hard Knocks, I just saw the clip, was talking about the quote narrative that they haven't beaten good teams and the media and he's used a lot of profanity, which no, like, I love it for the locker room, obviously plays well. It's not a narrative if it's true, though. You have <laughs> lost to good teams. So here is an opportunity for Miami to beat a team with a very good record. And then for Dallas, it's it's the road thing. And I actually want to start there with you, um, coming off of a really humiliating loss to the Buffalo Bills. So the Cowboys at home, 7-0 this year, on the road, 3-4. and Um the splits are really ugly across both offense and defense. Uh, Jerry Jones was asked about it and he blamed the weather, which I don't think is the case. Um, Deontay, like for me, a lot of that seems to be game script related, which is to say at home, when you look at um, the games that Dallas has won and they've won a lot of them by quite a bit uh, in most of them, they've been able to jump out to leads the offense has been incredibly efficient in the first half. Um, Dak Prescott, who is like this, you know, obviously like a, a master at the line of scrimmage, is able to run the offense and, and read the defense the way he would like, you know, in, in, in silence, in a perfect environment. And because they're able to jump out to leads, they don't have to defend the run, right, in the second half, the way they did against Buffalo. Would you say that's probably 
what's responsible for the split? And does that concern you as they go on the road to Miami? Yeah, I think the the home dominance thing is really, I think, circumstantial based on game script stuff. Like, and really outside of Buffalo, the Buffalo game, I would say that the Chargers game is maybe the only other game they've had all year where the offense did not just come right out to a roaring start. Um, so that that's really what I think it is. It is funny to mention the weather stuff for Jerry Jones because I think Buffalo is going to kick their teeth in rain, so- rain sunshine, mm-hmm. snow, whatever. Um, but I think the bigger the bigger question now is whether or not how you handle Dallas knowing that they have a potentially fatal flaw. And I think that that's kind of been the story of this NFL season in general for basically everybody except for the 49ers. And they still have one, but the guy's just been playing out of his mind and the stats are too hard to deny with Brock Purdy. But when you look at the Cowboys being light on bodies coming into last week, then you lose Rankins, which is obviously a huge piece for them. And you see just how much they struggled to control first and second down defensively. And then on the other end of the ball, you see when a team like Buffalo, who's playing a lot of zone coverage, is sitting on those early down passes in the intermediate windows um, that allows Dallas to turn first downs into first downs so often. Now you're getting deeper into these sequences. And when the run game's not there, you're seeing a lot being placed back on Dak Prescott's shoulders in a way that was very reminiscent of last season in the games that they lost, particularly you think about the um, the playoff game against the 49ers as the worst example of when you have to put the ball in Dak's hands and there's not enough support across the rest of the team. Let's hit the run defense aspect of it against Miami in particular, because that like the offense, I think um, there were a lot of things that the bill, I thought we Dominique Foxworth and I talked a little bit about the bills and their use of disguise and, um, some of the things they did out front as well against the run versus Dallas. Mm-hmm. Excellent game plan. I think certainly this Dolphins defense is capable of executing something similar. We'll get to that. But for me, the thing that really worries me uh, is the run defense because you alluded to this. It is personnel related, right? right. Um, you mentioned, you know, Jonathan Hakins, who's their uh defensive tackle is injured. I'm not sure exactly what his status is. I think it's a high ankle thing, mm-hmm. but this is a defense that plays light. They like to put a lot of safeties on the field. That's yeah. what they did, you know, against the bills and they got pushed around. They got bodied. It's yeah. a great defense to play the pass. So in some ways you think against, okay, Miami, this offense, which is also kind of um, like, you know, about all about speed and, certainly that downfield passing game in some ways they match up reasonably well with them. Right. But if Miami decides to run the ball, do you think that they're going to give them problems? It's a very different run game from Buffalo. Um, It's a run game that really likes to, again, they hit the perimeter, which is something Dallas also struggled with, by the way. Mm -hmm. Do you think like if you were Mike McDaniel watching that game, watching what that rushing attack did, to, was one of the worst run defensive performances I've seen, certainly of the season. Right. Are you going to go into this one with an intention to run the ball? I would say so, but I think you kind of mentioned it, which is that uh, Miami's rushing success doesn't look anything like what Buffalo did last week. You know, you saw a lot of like tackle traps and some duo, you know, a lot of run game that's about, you know, getting downhill, getting double teams on interior linemen and forcing linebackers to have to pat their feet and go fit the run, you know, and be big bodies, which, as you mentioned, is something that Dallas does not do a lot of from a personnel perspective. Miami is like dogmatically um, committed to outside zones 
that's a much different picture in the run game. And like you said, it doesn't mean that because it's different that Dallas is just going to have an answer. I just think that if Dallas struggles with the run game, it's going to be something different than, than it was last Sunday, which might open up the door for us looking at this team in a much different light. Because if you can't stop downhill runs and you can't stop perimeter runs and you're dealing with, you know, the fact that you are a man heavy team, a cover two heavy team and teams can get you with explosive passes from time to time where that leaves this team in terms of being a contender and whether or not they can beat Philly if they see them a third time, whether they can beat San Francisco if we see them again. Um, so that's kind of the matchup I'm most interested to see is Dallas's edges versus this outside zone run scheme, this pin and pull kind of toss sweep run scheme that Miami likes because they're obviously as good at it as anybody in the league. Yeah, the um, Bills offense really took Micah Parsons out of the game. Some of that there's so many things that go into that, you know, game script obviously matters mm -hmm. a lot. You talked about, I think some of it was the design of the run game. Some of it was the personnel. Um, some of it was Micah Parsons, frankly, I, yeah. I thought like, you know, that some of that performance certainly falls upon him, I think in how he approached defending the run, but yeah, it, it's, it's so different with Miami, like Miami. I mean, that offensive line will lose if, right. you know, like if, if it's actually about that, but it's not what they do is not, about the offensive line it's like the most offensive line agnostic offense yes. in football which is crazy yes. um and it's really definitely built on doing as little blocking at the point of attack yeah. as they absolutely have to i mean all um, last week it was yeah. tosses you know and just letting letting jets edges run themselves out of the play and just running pin and pull behind it and just trying to get to linebackers and not really messing around with defensive tackles at all so that'll be really fascinating to see i think to go back to the cowboys defense if Dallas doesn't fall behind, certainly if they jump out to a lead, I feel pretty good actually about yeah. that defense and their ability to get after it um, and to cover, I think, you know, all uh, what everything Miami does in the passing attack. But it's when they're able to run the ball and there's the threat of the run action and they have to defend all of it that I don't mm -hmm. feel great about it, certainly not based on what we saw. So that leads me to, I think, my next question, which is, you know, do we think the Cowboys offense can bounce back against a Miami defense. Deontay, I'm going to read you some numbers because I don't think I've talked, I haven't talked about it on this show and I feel like it's kind of fine with the radar a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, since week eight, the Miami defense first in EPA per play first in success rate first in opponent QBR uh, second in yards per play. Some of that, has to do with the competition. They're still 13th yes. in DVOA, which adjusts for competition. Although I think a lot of that also reflects uh, the beginning of the year when there were injuries. You didn't have Jalen Ramsey. Guys were still learning the defense. It's a Vic Fangio defense. It's very right. complicated. But they do pass the eye test to me. I mean, I think Bradley Chubb is playing out of his mind right now, um, which is much needed, obviously, with the loss of Jalen Phillips. Wilkins and Sealer are fantastic on yeah. the inside. Um, I think the secondary is playing really well. I think getting Ramsey back was, you know, pretty significant. They're really challenging. Uh, this is not uh, an easy defense to have like a rebound game for Dak Prescott after last week. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the biggest red flag if you're Dallas is that Miami, not only are they good on their own accord, the way that that defense is built they can pretty easily take everything they saw Buffalo did successfully against Dallas and replicate it. 
in terms of the soft zone shells. You mentioned some of the play that they've gotten from their front four, front five guys. This is a defense that can get um, backfield penetration and backfield production without having the blitz. And that's a dangerous place to be at for Dallas's offense, which has been great in terms of being precise and staying on time and being efficient on early downs. But all it takes is one TFL, you know, or a sack. And now you're back behind the sticks. And they're asking a lot, again, of an offense that, for as good as it's been this year, it's really not built on having more talent than everybody else does on the perimeter. CD is a good player that you can move around, but it's not just bombs away, right? It's a lot about being a master of the West Coast offense as a play caller for Mike McCarthy and as a quarterback for Dak Prescott. So I'm really fascinated to see what the early down plan is because I think that the game script getting away from them last week took away a lot of run game stuff that we thought was maybe improving with Dallas's play sequencing. Um, So I'm interested to see if they are really committed to first down runs and trying to get in the second and seven, second and six, and see if you can control the sticks and control that pass rush and some of the soft zone shells, you know, you're going to get that way. That was, that was what's so tricky about last week is because they fell behind so quickly and the bills were able to then just come out and play a ton of dime and put a ton of bodies in coverage and mix in some different pressures um, that you just weren't able to get a sense of, okay, is this, you know, can can they run the ball on them? Can they do some of the play action stuff? Um, And to your point, I think Miami can do a lot of the similar, a lot of similar things to what we saw from Buffalo. They certainly have the personnel to do it. They have a secondary that much like what we saw from Buffalo rotates a lot post snap. They have a defense, a defensive line that can stop the run with light boxes which uh, I believe they're playing at the third highest rate in the NFL. It's a Vic Fangio special, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a good unit. And I think if, again, I really feel like if Dallas falls behind again, I don't feel good about either side of the ball. So, game, I feel like game script is – I was saying this to Dan Orlowski the other day – I feel like it's the thing we don't talk about enough when we analyze games and in sports media generally, because it dictates so much of what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think right now in the NFL, there are so many teams where uh, whether they're, you know, they have a lead, uh, the nature of the lead really affects their efficacy on offense in particular. Right. And, and defense in the case of Dallas, I think, I don't think this Dallas defense is built to play from behind. Right. Um, they're great with a lead. So if it was at home, I would probably pick Dallas. It's at Miami and I'm probably going to pick the Dolphins because of it. I'm with you on that. And we've kind of laid out a lot of the things that I think will be um, easy matchups to watch. I think the game within the game for me and one of the stats I was looking at is how to is done against man coverage because Dallas is such a man coverage team, man coverage, heavy team. And if you're just looking at all downs, obviously the EPA per drop back is through the roof because of all the explosive plays that they can get to, especially when you have both Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. But something that was fascinating to me was Tua against cover one on early downs. I think he's like 17 of 29 on the season for just 166 yards. And that kind of made me think about last year's Chargers game late in the season for the Dolphins. Right. And whether or not you can win on first down with tight coverage 
And now if you're Dan Quinn, you can get to some of those funky cover two rotations and you can play a little bit more soft cover three and sit on those intermediate uh, passing windows where Waddle can get all those yak opportunities. That's going to be a really fascinating thing on early downs. And I think that on the other end, like we talked about with Dallas's run game, this is going to be a game that is going to be decided on first down uh, because both teams are so game script and kind of, you know, play call script dependent. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it, that it'll be decided on first down. Um, yeah, I I don't expect the Dallas defense to change up their approach. I don't, right. I mean, well, you know, I don't think they, they, the person, they are who they are. Right, there's point. not much else to do based on yeah. that. Yeah, and they're very, they're good with those safeties on the, they're an amazing pass defense with them on the field. And I think that what will be interesting to me to, is to see, how Mike McDaniel approaches the run game against this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because as we discussed at the beginning, it's, it's a very different from the Buffalo run game, but I'm not sure that Dallas could stop this one either. Not right. many teams can. So anyways, leaning Miami, um, which, you know, my desire is for Miami and Buffalo to play for the division in week 18. So, uh, because that would be amazing. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, Buffalo, you know, has to keep winning, which I think seems likely. We're not talking about that game. Uh, again, we are talking about Jaguars Bucks. CJ Beth, 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 Bethard, Bethard, Bethard. Uh, it's funny because I was thinking, so he's playing, I think. Well, no, that's not true. Sorry. We don't know if right. Trevor's playing. It's obviously well, we do know very, that Trevor didn't practice today. Trevor did not practice today. We are taping this on Wednesday. Obviously, this is a very different game if Trevor Lawrence plays. Um, Beth, Bethard. I've watched this guy play so much football. How am I like struggling with his name? I, I Deontay. I was like looking back. I was thinking back through like because you started like, ten games for the Niners over the mm-hmm. years, quite a few. Yeah. And I and I was like, well, I remember he's like really tough. And I'm like, what well, is that? Just because his name is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, let's start on that side of the ball, assuming. It's CJ. Uh, I went back. He has attempted 524 career passes. Mm-hmm. He's a negative 7.0% CPOE. He's thrown a lot of picks. Yeah. Okay, no, he started five games in 17 and 18. Important note, that was a very different Niners team. I always yeah. hate like when people compare this Niners team to like those other Niners teams and quarterbacks because they were kind of bad. Yes. <laughs> it's very unfair. Not to say that he would be so much better playing with the monsters as I call them. But I mean, it's a different offense. There's like the before Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams era. And then there's the added Christian McCaffrey era. And it's much, much different. Uh, I think probably notable for this game. Cause I remembered him struggling with this. Uh, those two years that he played when he was pressured, he had a QBR of four and one. Mm. So uh, nice. that's not great. <laughs> This Bucks defense doesn't get a ton of pressure. They do blitz a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I think against a patchwork Jags offensive line, guys like Kalijah Kansi, mm-hmm. who's been excellent, Shaq. Like, I think that they can affect uh, Beth- Bethard, Bethard. Yeah. <laughs> CJ, uh, a fair amount. And I don't think he has Trevor Lawrence's quick game ability. So I think that um, it's it's pretty it's a pretty pretty tough situation for this Jaguars offense. 
Yeah, it was hard kind of trying to put together notes for this because the quarterback situation is so up in the air. Um, but I do think if you're Todd Bowles, you're probably approaching it like two separate game plans, right? If yeah. Trevor plays, you probably don't want to pressure Trevor a whole bunch because he is so good with quick game. He does have that kind of Herbert-esque, Dak, Dak Prescott-esque um, ability to him to just get the ball out before pressure can get home. Um, but if you're flexing somebody like C.J. Beathard and then you're looking at this offensive line – and you're looking at a team that doesn't run the ball very effectively um, and has not it certainly didn't last week and, and generally is up and down with the run game. Now you want to get after a quarterback in an offense like that. Right. So and they don't have probably their best receiving option, you know. So that's that to me, I think, has been it. That's been a big hindrance for Jacksonville in general. And then if you take Trevor out the picture, I expect Todd Bowles to go back to the drawing board with all those crazy Rex Ryan old school pressures where you're bringing four from a side and really trying to heat a quarterback up. You know, I think it's worth um, taking a moment to know, like, well, we're going to talk about some of them. There are offenses around the NFL right now where backup quarterbacks have been productive. And some yeah. of that is the quarterbacks. Joe Flacco. We're going to talk about Joe Flacco. Mm-hmm. It's a big game. Uh, and some of it is the offensive lines, play makers, whatever. My point is this Jags offense is not one of them <laughs> at all. No, not at all. Oh, they're just a disaster. Uh, you mentioned the run game. It's been bottom five or worse in just about every metric this year. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons for that. It's, it's mostly not ETN's fault, in my opinion. Um, a lot of it's blocking. I think some of yeah. it is design. One thing is they face the second most stacked boxes in football. Yeah. Um, and because teams yeah. don't respect their pass, their pass catchers. Yes. When they, I, I was grabbing this when they were playing the Ravens. I didn't use it. So because the Ravens also face a lot of stacked boxes. Mm-hmm. When the Ravens face not as many, which is. Kind of wild, right. right? Like the Baltimore Ravens, but that's because teams are afraid of the Baltimore Ravens. When they face stacked boxes, and this is why also, uh, the Ravens are excellent. They average 11 yards per play throwing against them. Lamar, mm-hmm. how many yards per play do you think the Jags average through the air when they face stacked boxes? So when they have, you know, man coverage, numerical advantage, what do you think they're at? The Ravens are at 11. Oof, I would say anything below like seven and a half is when you start. Four. Four. Oh, God. Oh, God. I was going to say like in the sixes. <laughs> and that's bad. You know, that that's bad. Anything below you seven and a half. You have the numbers. You have the bad. one-on-ones. You can do. And, and yet, and yet, and yet, teams do not fear this offense. They do not fear this offense with Trevor Lawrence. They certainly won't fear it with C.J. Beathard. I expect Todd Bowles to be salivating yes. uh, at the prospect of this matchup. Um, the other side is interesting though, because this Jags defense, and this would be, I think the formula for an upset in this one, I've seen the bucks are favored if it's CJ, uh, the Jags defense has been kind of up and down and they're coming off of a game. I thought I said, I texted you this, like the previous two games, they were bad. The offensive defense never played good at the same time, which drives yeah. me crazy. The last game, the defense, I actually thought played decently well against Lamar, Lamar, just yeah. Lamar a, yeah. a few times. Um, but I thought they looked a lot better and they're facing a Bucks offense that was great. I would actually say it's kind of simple. They were great last week, but then there's some weeks they're, they're inconsistent as well. What have you liked about this Jags defense watching them? How do you think they match up with 
Baker Mayfield and the uh, the Bucks offense. I think that I think that Caldwell, you know, defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell is just he's evolved from last year to this year. When you look at blitz rates, when you look at how often they're playing split safety shells, um, just playing zone coverage in general, um, I think that the mark of a good defensive coordinator is that he was able to take a recipe that he had in Tampa Bay, you know, working with those guys and say, we don't have the bodies to do that. We're not going to get the pressure that's necessary to play all this tight coverage. Maybe we need to play a little bit more zone. And I think that's reflected um, best when you look at the All-22, especially last week. You know, Lamar was able to buy a lot of time. But if you look at the what's supposed to be the usual time to throw, that, you know, yeah. zero to 2.5 seconds, guys aren't open. They're, they were plastered in coverage. They just couldn't get home with the pass rush. Um, and that's going to be interesting this week because I really wouldn't recommend that they do any of the things they did against Baltimore, against Tampa Bay, because that's what Joe Barry did. And Baker Mayfield just had like the most comfortable day in the pocket that he's had in a long time in his career. So just dropping, you know, just dropping seven and rushing four and playing your soft shell coverages might not be it against this offense. So I'm interested to see whether or not he turns up the pressure to try to get guys in Baker's face and get him back into some of his worst habits. I would absolutely do that against Baker Mayfield. The Joe Barry defense, I mean, they're always bad, but like, I don't think you could call a worse defense against Baker. And also this Bucks offense, like Dave Canales did a great job, but like, it, you know, he it didn't, have to work, clear. didn't have to work very hard. <laughs> oh, you know, you're the, the, the seams are going to be wide open for us all day. Yeah. Okay, sure. So you, just, you know, like they, it, like, let's not play any type coverage at all. That's what is so infuriating about the Joe Barry defense. It's not just like, oh, it's passive and soft and they play off. It's like an offense will do something and they never adjust to it. It was, I mean, I lost my mind after the DeVito zone read game, but this was the same thing. Like it was literally, oh, screen, seam, screen, scheme, screen. Anyway, it's just like, oh God, crossing, like crosser, crosser, crosser. Anyways, um, along those lines. Yeah. So like, I think uh, it's going to be paramount for Mike Caldwell, not only because I do think that they're probably also going to have to turn Baker over to win this game. Doable, totally doable. We've seen Baker do that. Um, I think it's just, uh, yeah, the nature of that offense. I, I am a little bit worried about their ability to defend the Bucks' play action passing yeah. attack, which is pretty good. The run game also, the Bucks' run game is it's kind of, I, I wouldn't say fixed, but it looks much it's better than it has form, yeah. in recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, like I really, Rashad White's a great pass catcher. So yeah. because of all those things, they can attack the Jags linebackers which we've seen teams do with success lately, but I think, yeah, you got to get, you got to, you got to um, channel. So I guess, yeah, like both sides, I think we're advocating for um, sending pressure and yeah. making things a little bit chaotic. I got the bucks. It's, it's CJ Beathard. If it was Lawrence. Right. Uh, I, I might this, pick him. But... This game I think is going to be disgusting enough where you can go either way. I think it's like so many games right now. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that I think Tampa has just enough playmakers on offense where even if you know Jacksonville plays them well, you can get a jump ball to a Mike Evans, you can get a good yak opportunity for a Chris Godwin, and that might be the difference in the game. And I think that'll probably be enough against CJ Beathard. Okay, so Lions Vikings, one side we have a starter, Jared Goff, and the other side, um, we have the third backup that the Vikings have started in Nick Mullins. Yeah. Um, 
let's start with the Jared Goff side. I find this side interesting because uh, Brian Flores' defense has probably been the most interesting defense to watch of the entire NFL season. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going up against uh, a Lions offense that looks really improved last week upon what we've seen from them lately, certainly on Thanksgiving. A lot of that, most of that is because the offensive line is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where I would start with this game. We know the story with Jared Goff in this offense, and we know what it takes to get him off the game. Do you think uh, Brian Flores and this defense are capable of heating him up? Um, do you think they'll try to heat him up? Like, how do you think they'll approach this matchup knowing uh, Goff's weaknesses? I'm glad you asked. Do you remember what happened to Jared Goff the last time he played Brian Flores in 2020? I can give you the stat line. Give me the stat line. It's not good. 35 of 61. I just want to start there. 61 attempts for 355 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and two sack strips, and both the strip sacks went for touchdowns. How much did they blitz him? I think... Third, he had 30 passes against the Blitz, went 15 of 30 for 156, a touchdown and an interception, and was sacked twice. And one of them was the aforementioned strip sack. That was very different, though, because that's when Flores was blitzing and playing man behind yes, it. Yes, all the time. And that was definitely a Rams era that had kind of lost the plot with the run game and right. didn't have the kind of receiving talent it needed to beat man coverage. So. It's, that's not to say that it's going to be a one-to-one comparison, but I, I bring that up and I looked that up because for me, like the top note I had is this is the referendum game for whether or not I'm going to take Jared Goff seriously for the rest Ooh, of the game. If he I can like get over it. this hump pressure-wise and take care of business and is safe with the ball, and he doesn't have to blow the Vikings defense up for 400 yards and three touchdowns, but if he can avoid being sacked, the strip sacks, the silly interceptions, I think I'll feel a little bit more comfortable looking at Detroit and saying, okay, you can beat any one of Philadelphia, San Francisco, or Dallas as a road team if you had to. That's kind of what I'm using a basis off of because I think they have a lot, a lot of the other pieces necessary on offense to be able to beat any of the top teams in the NFC. Yeah, it's about the, we're talking about the offense because I don't think this Lions defense can stop any of those teams. No. But but the question and we and Lions fans know this going into the playoffs is like, can your offense keep up with them? Because then right. you can pull off an upset. It's all about the offense. Right. And this is quite a defensive test, to your point. Um, it's funny because, you know, you said it's a referendum game for Goff. I hear you. But I also think, like, Ben Johnson, this yeah. is huge game for him in terms of preparing Jared Goff for yeah. some of these pressures. Um, I think the run path, pass balance in this one is enormous, again, in terms of what we talk about, like, taking some of the heat off of Goff. Um, yeah. Uh, Goff's been okay against the Blitz this year. He's actually been very good versus blitzing DBs. Fourth mm-hmm. QBR, nine point one percent CPOE is very good. Obviously, that's you know not a huge sample size, but, but it is um, something that the Vikings like to do a lot. It of. is meaningful against yeah. this uh, this Vikings team. Uh, I think, yeah, this is. Uh, I, I I hear. I I think your point is good though. Like going into the playoffs, especially now that it feels like the Lions are probably you know got the, got the division locked up most likely. Um, this, you know, like, I feel like they're on the upswing, but if the Mm -hmm. offense doesn't look good in this game, I too will strongly question 
whether or not they can carry a defense that I think we both agree is not above average. Right. And that's the thing is that we know where the weakness of this team is in terms of roster construction, which is the defense, but they need their quarterback to be able to hang. And you cannot, you cannot have your quarterback exposed as someone weak against pressure when you know that your defense is probably not going to get stops against the elite offenses. And there's a chance that they don't get stops on Sunday against Minnesota because for whatever reason, however the heck he's been able to do it, Kevin O'Connell has still been able to put together an efficient enough offense to run the ball and get the ball in his playmaker's yeah. hands. Can, can we? Okay, look, Kevin O'Connell. The back-to-back tushbushes with Brandon Powell, not your finest moment. No. I will. I've been around Brandon Powell. He, uh, as a Rams preseason analyst, we are approximately the same size. I would not advocate. <laughs> Yeah, okay, doing that. I know it's the first time they were trying to like, you know, trick them a little bit by right. with their personnel, but that was not great. However, give the man some credit for what that offense was doing otherwise in that yeah. game, right? Like uh uh what he's been able to do by and large with playing with backups, playing without the best wide receiver in football for the vast majority of the season uh, is pretty tremendous. So yeah. I I you know, I saw fire KOC on I never know if it's actually trending or if it's just sports trending or you yes. know, on this side. there's definitely but, some algorithm trickery yeah, going on there. maybe it's and 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 you got me Elon because I'm talking about it so congratulations but that's absolute nonsense yeah. um I I agree I think that I I I know the Lions defense just had a good game against Denver and I was impressed by the pass rush in the game we talked about it on Tuesday but like this is you know the, the this wide receiver group this offense in general the wide receiver the tight end and then chandler as a pass catching weapons uh i don't think i think that they're that the the vikings can find matchups to take advantage of lions defense 30th versus wide receiver twos yep. jordan addison 26 versus passes to running backs ty chandler yep. question of course is just whether nick mullins can deliver the ball you saw he can he's just inconsistent Right, but he's not—he's not like incapable. Uh, he like he made some pretty nice throws in that game, actually. Um, and then you know one of the most hilarious interceptions of all time. But yeah, I—I yeah, I think that there is an onus on Goff in this offense to not only prove themselves for the playoffs, but I think in this particular game, um, they cannot count on their defense. I'll just put it that way. For sure, especially having Justin Jefferson back in the mix from Minnesota. I think that. That's spoken a lot to what they've been able to do in terms of having an effective rushing game the last couple of weeks. You know, I think two of like their top seven EPA and success rate games on the ground have happened in the last two weeks. And we're talking about playing on your third with your third quarterback. So when teams don't have to respect the pass at all or should not, I think that they still have just enough receiving talent to where a defense cannot just go full bore, cover zero, cover one, and load up the box otherwise. And I think that they've done a pretty good job of finding those sneaky yards, finding an explosive run here or there to be able to keep their quarterbacks comfortable. Now, obviously, in this game, I do think if Jared Goff is able to score, especially early, they should be able to play pretty comfortably because there's just I don't think there's any way that you can ask a back, you know, backup quarterbacks to just go blow for blow against an offense that can be as explosive as Detroit's is when everything's clicking between a run and a pass game. Um, but that's going to be a really fascinating thing for me is whether or not Kevin O'Connell can find another way to kind of pull a game into the muck and run the ball 28, 29, 30 times 
um, you know, at four yards a carry and just try to keep the ball out of his quarterback's hands as much as possible. Going Lions here. Um, but I'd like, to, I'd like, I, I, I like what you said about the referendum game. I want, I want to see, I want to see Jared Goff in this offense um, move the ball really well in this defense. All right, come back, more backups, and then we'll get to Ravens Niners. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid, and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Okay, so Bengals Steelers was on the table. <laughs> Meaningful game. 
backups, but that is not the game uh, I said to you to talk about next. It is Browns-Texans. Uh, and this is, again, this is going to be backups because it looks like we are getting another Case Keenum game instead yep. of C.J. Stroud. I am very sad about that. <laughs> I really wanted to see C.J. Stroud against this defense. I thought that would be really interesting, um, especially given all of the man coverage they play, which uh, he has been lights out against zone, less so against man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't – Texas offense against this Browns defense, man, like – no CJ. I think Nico Collins might be back. Yeah. It's a tough ask. Uh, tough ask for any quarterback. <laughs> a very tough ask for. I mean, this is your, you are taking a backup quarterback on an offense that's really not the most talented against yes. one of the best performing defenses statistically that we've had like in the last two decades. And one of the best pass rushers that we've ever seen period in this, you know, or at least in this millennium. So it's a tall task. It's a tall task. It's a lot to ask of guys, you know, when CJ Stroud is playing, I think that he he's done such a good job of finding answers in this passing game for receivers that aren't the most talented, you know, the ability to push the ball down the field, to be able to find your guys in spots where they're comfortable. That speaks both to Stroud and to Slowick. You're just not going to get that out of KTM. You're not going to get that in general against this defense and certainly not against this defense on your backup quarterback. And we're also talking about an offense that's like been bottom eight, bottom five in run game all year long. And and here we are again with an offense and a backup quarterback, but they can't run the ball. It looks a little better with Singletary uh, than it did with Pierce this year with the outside zone scheme that they run. But, uh, and, and I think like, again, this against this Browns defense in particular, there are there is some vulnerability to the run, right? But not against this team. If it was like right. a really good running team, I'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, I can make a case for it. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's gonna don't, be tough. Don't see it. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be gonna tough, be tough sledding. <laughs> yeah. Um, now they are playing a backup quarterback themselves, of course, in Joe Flacco. Uh, but I like of all when we talk about all these backup quarterbacks across the league right now, potential playoff teams. Flacco in this offense is the one that I maybe enjoy watching. I mean, Jake Browning's playing really well, but I enjoy watching him. And I also think coupled with this defense, you could actually like, they could actually make some noise in the postseason, which is amazing. Deontay. And this is what really jumped out to me this last week. uh, Given the fact that the offensive line, which we've long thought of as being of course a strength in Cleveland is in tatters. I mean, they, right. they are on backups, on backups, on backups. You put a 38-year-old quarterback behind them, and yet um, they're making it work despite yeah. that. And I think that's a testament to Flacco, who's looked really good throwing on the move. Is hit, he's hit on some uh, very impressive passes. Some of the, the pass to Amari, my God, was like one of the yeah. best passes of the entire season. Of the year, I, yeah. I, I think it's also a testament, though, to, to Kevin Stefanski because um, not only has he called a good offense – around the offensive line, but he has made adjustments to week to week. Uh, One thing that I wanted to highlight um, that struck me against the bears. So in week 14, I think I mentioned it on this show or maybe on NFL live uh, the Browns, I think it was against Jacksonville play action game was sensational. Eight for 12, 133 yards, two touchdowns play action in week 14. That was almost entirely from under center. This week, again, play action game, very effective. 
but a lot of their big plays Flacco was hitting from the gun where he went seven for seven with a 95 QBR on play action. So you're seeing the offense kind of evolve week to week. Some of that has to do with the run game, the competition, the personnel, but like that's good coaching. And I think Kevin Stefanski deserves a ton of credit for what we're seeing from this offense. For sure. And I wanted to look something up as you were talking about it, because it's something you can see on the film, you know, watching from broadcast is Joe Flacco creating outside the pocket so I wanted to look at just the EPA numbers. His he has twenty two snaps where he's made where he's outside the pocket, and his EPA per dropback on those is 0. 0.73. That's ridiculous. That's a lot of that really is helped. Good. A lot of that is helped, obviously, you know, by the big touchdown throws that he's made out of structure. Um, but it, it does speak to I think how well he's been able to solve the issues that they have with this offensive yes. line. Stylistically, it's just very funny to see an old quarterback. Like it looks like, um, you know, the end of like Jay Cutler's career where the knee was bothering him. He couldn't really yeah. move. You can see him kind of trying to wiggle away <laughs> and then he doesn't have enough, you know, lower body strength. So he's just like heaving the ball, like all upper body. And it's still just these dots go- going right to guys' chest. Um, so it's been fun to watch Joe Flacco. And I think that, you know, you made the point they're doing just enough with this passing game. Um, to be able to stay ahead of the sticks, to be able to put points yeah. on the board. And it is, it is a big credit to Kevin Stefanski because that's been a big question, right? Like yeah. coming into this year when Deshaun Watson was a starting quarterback, you heard a lot about kind of like not necessarily tension, but this almost philosophical struggle between what Kevin Stefanski believed in in the passing game and what Deshaun Watson was most comfortable with, right? And there was a lot of struggle early in the year and still trying to sort that out. Um, between, you know, the guy that they paid all this money to to be their starter and the head coach. So to be able to evolve on backup quarterbacks speaks really well to, I think, him understanding what this offense needs on a week-by-week basis. And you alluded to this, you know, it's not all Flacco. The playmakers yeah. in this offense who have always, I mean, I, I feel like I've been pounding the Amari Cooper is like still in the prime of his career yeah. uh, thing for a while now. Flacco and Njoku, Njoku kind of got kind of got something going. Uh, yeah. I, I mean the the both some of the, I mean some of the, a lot of those big play action passes have been to him, and he's broken a ton of tackles. But also like on those plays you're talking about where Flacco is like extended a little bit, sometimes by design, sometimes evading pressure. Uh, Njoku's found him, and. The touchdown being the most, uh, I think, dramatic example of both guys making a really good play together. But, like, that's – he's a load, and he's playing some of his best football right now. So I, I I continue to say I would not want to play this Browns team in the postseason. I think if Stroud was playing in this game, it would – I'm not sure I would pick Cleveland, but against a backup, I'm going to take the 38-year-old back. Actually, yeah. Keith might be 38, too. <laughs> Um, even though I like, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the Texas pass rush is very good. Uh, Bernard went crazy. Um, they still are down some guys. They still have some injuries on that side of the ball. Um, I think the injuries of the linebacker position could be an issue against this Browns team, given everything we talked about with the play action stuff. So I, you know, the, the, the Brown, the Texans front, Oh, Will Anderson Jr. is also hurt by the way. Yeah. Still perfectly capable of of winning a lot of matchups against a Bears or Premier Browns offensive line that just made Montez Sweat look like Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm I'm rolling with Flacco. I am too. I, I think that this is where a team that's ahead of schedule in the Texans um, 
runs up against a team that's been building itself to contend. And you can mm-hmm. start to see that difference as, you know, injuries and attrition take hold. I, I do think that the Browns probably win comfortably because this defense it has such an advantage in terms of talent um, over the Texans offense. But I don't I'm not going to come out of this game if that happens looking at Houston any differently. It's still been a great year. Um, they'd be in a different position if their quarterback were still healthy. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy with what I've seen from D'Amico Ryans and the rest of the staff. Uh, but to your point, I think Cleveland's got just enough defense to where even if you're Kansas City or Buffalo, you got to be looking at them like, let's make sure that we don't ever have to see this team because they've got enough to turn us over a few times, get a two score lead and sit on the ball and, and beat us that way. Yeah, uh, th- because of the defense. Shoot. I mean, because I don't think anyone would put them in that top upper echelon of the AFC, but I feel like they might have the most upset potential. Yeah. We'll see how things shake out for the postseason. Um, okay, speaking of upset potential, let's get to the main event. Ravens, Niners. Niners are favored by four and a half, last I saw. Um, let's start here. Let's start with the Ravens offense against the Niners defense because trying to find ways to beat this Niners offense is like, if you yeah. and I had good answers for that, I think we would both be working be for the Ravens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. But however, I do think this Ravens offense can move the ball. Yes. San A San Francisco defense that just got ran all over by the Arizona Cardinals. And has been getting run over a lot this season. Yeah. Um, they're 18th in DVOA, but you know, I, I I think there's certain ways to break out how they've defended the run that are pretty mm-hmm. ugly. Yeah. Uh, very. They've struggled particularly on runs inside between the tackles. Now, in this last game, they were down both Hargrave and Armstead didn't play. But even when they play, man, it's not just that. But however, right. we'll see it's what been their status the, yeah, is. That's been the story on them all year. You know, it, It's improved, I think, from that that early season slide where everybody was asking whether or not Phil Snow had the juice. Not Phil Snow, excuse me. Steve Wilkes, Wilkes had the juice. Yeah. Um, but still, if you're going to beat this defense, if you're going to put stress on this defense in the run game, it's still up the spine. The linebackers kind of miss tackles now, which is so weird. Is it? Are you like? I'm sure you're being a defensive minded guy, a Fred Warner enthusiast. Is it 100%. like I pretend I do not see it for you when you see him? Absolutely, absolutely. He, he, Dre Greenlaw, those guys, they can do no wrong in my eyes. Well, this is the linebacker bowl. This is arguably the competition to see who the best linebacker duo is in the NFL. Um, Stat, uh, my guy, Henry Buggy. I, so I'm doing a, a, a video on YouTube, which you guys check out. We're on YouTube here, but I'm going to do a YouTube video on everything Baltimore needs to do to, to beat San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I, my uh, friend, Henry Buggy, who's a researcher at ESPN, uh, we were going back and forth with some stats about the Niners' run defense, which uh, another thing, by the way, really struggles against offenses that run the ball using motion, which is something that Baltimore does. Yes. Uh, and they can get displaced, frankly. And uh, one he sent me that was like, damn. So uh, yards after contact per carry running backs, so not even quarterbacks. Baltimore is mm. first in the NFL. Gus Bus, right? Yeah. Um, 2.34 yards after contact. Nice. San Francisco's last, dude. 
last. Okay, so that that can be something. I mean, and you mentioned the tackling issues. You mentioned the tackling issues. They definitely have not been. It hasn't been the same kind of just like reckless banshee, a bit, you know, reckless abandonment that we saw with um, D'Amico Ryan's at the helm defensively. Yeah. Um, that that's been something that stuck out to me. I do think if you're Baltimore, this is this is going to be a game where you really wish that Keaton Mitchell was available yeah. as a guy that can create explosive oh plays. God. You know, as a speed guy, somebody you can get out on the perimeter and really force them to honor you in every direction in the run game. But what I do think, and this is something I think we saw little pieces of in the second half of the Jags game, is there's going to be more on Lamar's legs. And for as much as I want to make sure yeah. that this dude gets to the playoffs as healthy as possible and with as least mileage, this is the, I, this is the game. Yeah. I want to see, you know, the same Lamar I saw um, on that Sunday night game a couple years ago against the Chiefs, where it was like, all right, six carries, you know, six, five or six carries, you've got to go get us down the field. When we get in the red zone, your legs have to be our number one threat. I'm fascinated to see whether or not Todd Munkin in this matchup finally kind of, you know, dusts off that part of the playbook and says that, Lamar, you got to do it with your legs to open everything else up. Hasn't it been fascinating watching Lamar run this year? Yeah. Uh, Dan like, and I were talking about this. It's so it's how would you describe I, on my podcast last week? I talked about it. I described it as Spidey sense. Yeah, that was more, well, it's. It's weird because I don't want to say that he's slower. He's You can't possibly be as fast now this many years into the league as you were when you were fresh leg. But I think it's like it's a pacing thing. And this was something that Cam Newton, I don't think, ever really figured out as a guy that was really dangerous with his legs. Um, this is something that I think Jalen Hurts has struggled with. Obviously, being hurt is a piece of it. But this is something that I think makes his running his run game look a little tricky at times. I think Lamar has really mastered how to run in between the numbers in a way where he can gain yards and make guys miss and never really expose himself to any hard contact. It's the most like uncanny thing. I don't even know how to describe it because I don't think that it's a quality that you can seek in a player. It's really just one of those things like he knows how not to get his, how to not get his head blown off when he's in the middle of the field running the ball. Um, but yeah, he definitely has that kind of spidey sense of knowing where everybody is around him. It also feels like he is not, I think this is where it's different because he's always had that, but what feels different this year is it's almost like how LeBron conserves himself, you know, like, uh, as he ages, like he goes, he'll be like, you can actually see LeBron be like, I'm going to give 77% tonight, you know? I feel like that sometimes watching Lamar, like I watch him and I, and I'm like, he could get 15 yards here, but he only needs 11 and he's going to go down in a way, you know, or he's going to go out of bounds. I think, so I'm curious to see in these meaningful games and then certainly in the postseason, if he's, if like another level is unlocked, especially given the fact, by the way, that defenses now have to actually honor the entire field when they play the Ravens. Yeah. So there, if it's felt like there's been opportunities in the run game versus white boxes and out of their primarily like an 11 team now. Um, it's felt like, okay, like Lamar could probably do even more in the run game. And it'll be interesting to see to your point, if this game uh, he takes that approach from San Francisco's perspective on defense, I think like they're aware, you know, they, they, they haven't, the run defense hasn't been up to the usual standard. I do wonder if they do commit extra resources to stopping the run in this one. Um, 
you know, if, if the Ravens can punish them through the air, like I'm thinking quick throws outside yeah. numbers to Zay Flowers, get him the ball in space. Like, I don't think, I think the Raven, the, the Niners will struggle to tackle him when he has the ball in space, OBJ to an extent as well. So it's, this is a challenging offense for any team to play right now. But I think for a Niners defense, that's still very good, very good pass defense, spine still amazing. There are some certain weaknesses that Baltimore can push on. I agree. And this is something I, I pointed out when I was speaking with um, Kevin Clark last week um, on his podcast. And we were talking about um, Todd Munkin um, and how he's called the offense and just how Lamar has looked in his offense. And one of the things I noted, and you'll see it in all 22, is like there are vertical throws that they still haven't really taken. Yeah. And they get like four or five snaps a game. We're like, oh, Rashad Bateman had a step on a guy. Yes. They just didn't take the shot. Zay Flowers had a stride on this guy on this over route and Lamar just was moving in a different was in a different part of the progression. This is the kind of defense because, you know, you're going to get zone coverage because you know that they're going to try to rush with four where if you get some time, I want to see whether or not they try to take some chances, especially if you're getting those, you know, guaranteed one on ones out on the perimeter. And even if it's not that. This is they do have the receiving core now where you can throw a hitch. And like you said, as a flowers can go make a guy miss and turn a six yard reception into a 15 yard gain. Um, So that's going to be a fascinating thing for me. Um, And I think that if anything goes wrong, this will probably be the first real game of the year where we look up and say having a Mark Andrews to occupy Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner that might be an issue mm. um, because they won't. There's not as much in the middle of the field in terms of big body matchup problems that San Francisco has to respect, and that's acknowledging the fact that Isaiah Likely has been much better in the last few weeks, and I've really liked the role that they found for him. I'm just I'm really interested to see whether or not Baltimore can push the ball down the field because I do think that this defense, in general, even at their best, they can be had deep down the field. It's just a matter of getting enough time to test them. It's it's tricky because they can be had, and you see those opportunities on tape with Baltimore. But do you risk the high variance throws? Right, knowing one that you can run the ball on them, you you're capable of it, as we've been talking about. And two, you got to keep this offense off the field, man. Because right. if you 100%. fall behind, good night. Yeah, and that's why I don't know. It, it's a tricky balance because I do, you know, and and I think Lamar's been a little bit hit or miss throwing deep this season. Mm-hmm. By the way, another thing I'll be curious to see is in the past game, you mentioned Steve Wilkes, if they send a little bit more heat than usual. This is not a defense that blitzes very much, but Mars still been a little bit up and down against the blitz this season. Yep. Um, so I think they're, this is the kind of game where, you know, with D'Amico Ryans, you always felt like he had the he just such a good sense of when to send pressure. And I think um, they haven't really had that with Wilkes to the same yeah. extent. So I think yeah. this will be an interesting one. Um, you can't fall behind. You can't fall behind. Unfortunately, you're playing an offense that's not only the best in the NFL, but is on a historic pace. Yeah. The numbers are bananas. It's scary. Um, it's really scary. Uh, now let me. This is also from Buggy. Let me send these. Send, read these to you. It's just. It's just comical stuff. Uh, here are some of the rankings for the uh, San Francisco offense this year. They are. First in EPA per play. Where did I put it? Hold on. Sorry. I want to make sure I give this credit for what it is. Okay. San Francisco 49ers offense in 2023 on the entire season. 
arguably been better the last few weeks. I'll get to that. Okay, first in points per game, first in yards per play, first in QBR, first in red zone, first in EPA per play, first in points per drive, first in touchdowns per drive. So in the first eight weeks or so, certainly during the losing streak when they didn't have Debo and Trent Williams, uh, there were areas where Brock Purdy was not one of the best quarterbacks in football. Third down, notably. And right. you probably I, people listen to this podcast remember me saying this. I think right when I came back from leave, I was like, if you get this dude into third down, this is a different offense when, you know, that not everything's on the table. That's changed. Yeah. Uh, he's been amazing. And third down since then uh and obviously they aren't in that many third longs obviously it's i i i've, I've talked about it a lot mathematically there are no good answers against this defense because of everything they can do at the same time out of the same looks with the same players right they have not just one, but multiple guys who are incredible, both in the run, blocking or carrying the ball in case of Christian McCaffrey and the pass game. They have multiple guys who can beat you in man coverage. But if you play zone coverage, you're compromised. Deontay. And yeah. So that said, this is a very good Ravens defense. Yes. It's a Ravens defense that has very good linebackers, which is incredibly important against this team. It's a Ravens defense that um, uses a lot of disguise, which is one of the few things Brock Birdie has not been excellent again this year, against this year. Do you feel like they have a chance? They do have a chance. The issue is, and we were talking about it looking at the other side of the ball, or something I thought about as we were talking about the other side of the ball, the problem with San Francisco, and this is proof that they're the best team in the NFL right now, is no matter what, you're playing the game on their terms. If you're going to beat them, you still have to beat them on their terms. It's it's near impossible to force mm-hmm. this offense on its own to be off schedule and even when they're off schedule, they have such good answers. And then you talk, think about the fact that they have an elite pass rusher. You do have a very good linebacker or a pair of good linebackers in coverage. Um, that's that's really the difficulty. But focusing on this offense, um, the one of the things I think about, and Dominique Foxworth on your show talks about this often, is all the things that they can do stylistically that make it difficult. Um You know, I've mentioned to friends of mine, like, you watch Christian McCaffrey come out the backfield, and I'm like, this is Sean Payton's offense with, like, all the weak side options with Alvin Kamara and George Kittle running all the slants on the other side. And that's one phase of this thing. And then you still have all of the things that are true to Kyle Shanahan in terms of 12 and 21 personnel and forcing you into these regulated looks or you're playing these base defenses, and they can just throw the ball into these voids or there's nothing you can do about it. They can mash you, downhill running and perimeter running. Um, And then you still have a Debo Samuel who you can get manufactured touches to. You can take your deep shots to a Brandon Ayuk. So there's just so many layers there where they can attack you and so many different styles of football that they can play. That said, if there was a defense that is built with winning in different ways in mind, I would say it's Baltimore's. So my big – Oh, sorry. Go go ahead. No, no, keep going. 
But my, my big question really is going to start with where do you place Kyle Hamilton? Because that's going to tell me a lot about what Mike McDonald's priorities are in stopping this offense. Is it going to be, you know, on the weak side of the formation where, you know, Christian McCaffrey is more mm-hmm. likely to be working those one-on-ones? That's good. That tells me then that you're really comfortable with um, Kittle against Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen as your linebackers. You know, if he's playing more in the nickel role, okay, what does that mean for the rest of your defense? How are you building everything else out around him? Because he's usually a blitzer in a zone defender when he plays as a nickel defender. So I'm interested to see how much versatility we get out of Kyle Hamilton. And I think that that's going to be kind of revelatory as to what the Ravens think the best avenue to stopping this offense is because there's no way to take everything that they do away. Well, it, 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 it starts with Christian McCaffrey. Right. Because I feel that he is the straw that stirs the drink and this offense is a reason why it became a death star after the trade. Look, Purdy's been great, but this started before Purdy when, even when, when, and they had anyway figured out how to use McCaffrey or optimize him. Yeah. But the second he entered this team, I mean, the numbers in the, I think the four games he played with Jimmy Garoppolo are insane. And they played a really good Saints defense. You know, like they, they, he was just what, you know, everything we've been talking about in terms of um, how they can run so many different things on offense and then the run pass stuff and the way they can get matchups. It's all oriented around the fact that they have a football player who's like the queen on the chessboard. Right. Um, who's an unbelievable running back, which I think sometimes I was talking to Nate a little bit, or Nate Tice, our friend about this. I feel like that can get lost a little bit because we're like, what a weapon. People talk He's about so... that the least. Like, yeah. That's the least talked about thing. With like I was, I was thinking about this, watching him the last time they played Seattle. I was like, he is so good at setting up defenders. Yes. He runs between, he's strong. The way he runs between the tack, like he is an amazing running back. He does everything. He's like, not, yeah, he's not just like a scab or like a pass catching guy who's like pretty good. No, he is like l- the best at everything right now. Yeah. And he runs incredible routes. Dan Orlowski did a great tape on the, um, the play where he fell down because <laughs> yeah. he got so open. But, um, just talking about like all the, the route, the intricacies of route running that you just don't see in running back. So when you have a guy like that and you're Kyle Shanahan, your best play caller in football, it's so I think to your question, yeah. Can Kyle Hamilton defend him? I've been wondering that myself because is I it think, fair to put that on one guy like that? Well, even that feels, but off, no one right? does. Like, and that's exactly. why everyone else is so damn open you want to know why everyone's open in this offense it's because every defense is worried about christian mccaffrey and even if it doesn't look like they're they've got more than one guy on him watch his gravity on tape it's crazy it's insane for a running back um i think what i'm curious about you know you, you you started this by talking about how the niners offense dictates to everyone the Ravens defense is unique in that they're usually doing the dictating everything they do especially with their simulated pressures um can you do that against San Francisco? Is that too risky uh, because of the time that you lose? What do you and, and I, does it make you vulnerable to the run? Like, what do you think? I think that I think there's a space where you can do it. The issue is you don't want to be caught on that third and six where Jadavian Clowney is dropping out into the flat, and that's where Christian McCaffrey's going. And you run the risk of doing that. 
if you're playing the simulated pressure game. Um, but, and on the other hand, for as much as I've liked, like Matavike, who's obviously having one of the best Amazing year. years as um, an interior lineman in terms of, you know, rushing the passer. While I've liked what they've gotten out of Clowney, I, I do like what they have in their front four. This is also not a front four that was built um, with the identity of we're going to line up and we're just going to run by you and we're going to drop seven, every, the same seven every play, and you're just going to have to deal with it. That's not this. That's not the makeup of this depth chart either. And that gets back to this is what San Francisco does to dictate things to you because some of the best stuff that Baltimore does, it's probably not the best idea or you just run the risk of right. exposing yourself in ways that are uncomfortable against an offense like this. Your linebackers are really good. Yeah. Outside of the guys and your own San Francisco, probably the best linebacker duo suited to cover all of the weapons we've been talking about and also stop the run, occasionally bring pressure. I think it's it's really going to be very – this is the challenge for Mike McDonald. How do you yeah. um, balance your desire to put them – to keep them on tilt with everything you do up front with not wanting to expose guys. Yeah. Uh, with, with the, yeah, it, it's, well, it's, the, it's a real chess match. The thing is, and we talked about this maybe like right around like the halfway point in the year. Um, I know we were talking back and forth about simulated pressures. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, one of the things I like about Mike McDonald's simulated pressures is that they're not, he's not running them for the sake of running them. Right. Like, one of the things that he's really good at or has a keen eye for is how to set up these pressures in a way where the back has to stay in to protect, right? Because now if you're dropping an end out, while it's probably not the best idea on paper, you've got a numbers advantage because the back's not getting out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. The thing that the Niners do, especially with like that little shuffle motion that they mm -hmm. use with Christian McCaffrey is effectively every passing play, if they want it to be, can be empty because of the full route tree that you get with Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. That's something that not every team has available to them. And what that means is, is that your simulated pressures and manipulating protection and forcing the back to stay in to account for blitzing linebackers. A lot of that goes out the window because Kyle Shanahan's getting Christian McCaffrey out on the route, no matter what you do. Um, so that that's something I think like those game within a game types of things, like knowing how committed Kyle is to getting all five guys out in the route and knowing the threats that Ayuk and Samuel and McCaffrey and Kittle are. It is ridiculous that I'm naming four guys who in their own right can be all pros <laughs> at what they do. Um, that's That to me is the thing I'm going to be looking most at is what do you do to mitigate that? Do we see more all out pressure to see if that changes the way that um, Kyle calls plays? Like I know Philadelphia tried that when they couldn't stop McCaffrey and then they got hit with screens. Right. And that, that's how yeah. Debo Samuel got loose. So I'm well, interested to see if yeah. that's a potential answer. That, that, that it is a potential answer because Baltimore can do something that uh, Philadelphia cannot do, which is tackle. <laughs> so yes. uh, they're a very good tackling team, which does, 
I know if you're a Ravens fan, you're listening to this, you're like, oh my God, he's talking about the shuffle motion. The shuffle motion is that thing where if you're listening to this and you haven't, if you're not aware, it's like McCaffrey does it. He doesn't go out. He goes, what, how would you say? It's like five yards maybe or something. Yeah. He, he shuffles to the side and it's like the most menacing thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's like somebody like, moving what is he laterally. Do? What yeah. Is he? yeah, he like kind of like shuffles to the side and it's like, oh my yeah. God, what is going about to happen? I, don't, I hate this. I hate this so much. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, I think the, there, there's a lot of vulnerabilities and there are, um, a lot of things that Shanahan can do to combat the simulated pressures and whatnot. But a lot of those things, you know, um, Baltimore can combat too with their ability to tackle in space. And that's part of the reason why their pressures are so effective for them, you know? And, um, I mean, I think that I'm pretty sure they're in terms of yards after contact, the best team in football this year, um, they do a lot of crazy stuff up front. They play zone and then they tackle. And yeah. those are that's what you have to do against this Niners team. It's it's now will it work? I don't know because it's the Monstars. Uh, yeah. But before you make your pick, yeah. I have a question for you. I think we all know or pre- feel pretty solidified with San Francisco's place in the NFL hierarchy. For Baltimore, they're obviously kind of caught up in the mix of these AFC teams. Buffalo obviously being as hot as they are. Everybody yeah. know the known commodity that Kansas City is. If Baltimore wins this game, where does that place them for you? Assuming it's like a one possession win, right? A blowout, obviously, we're talking about them differently. But if they just get like a one possession win over a team oh. like the Niners, is there a distance between them and the rest of the Yeah. Aliens? A hundred percent, dude. Because the Niners, there's a distance. The Niners are so clearly the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah. If you take out the King, yeah, yeah. especially because yeah. this Ravens team, like, especially offensively, it's still coming together. Like you, it's like we were talking about. Like, it 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 took about half the season. I think it's still an ongoing process. You, st- I still feel like some of the run past stuff. They're kind of figuring stuff out. Yeah. Not um, having Mark Andrews definitely, I think, put not a having Andrews, in the momentum. Yeah. But um, yeah, if they beat San Francisco, they're yeah. already my favorites in the AFC, even with you know what the Bills are doing and the Chiefs being the Chiefs, just because of the balance. Um, yeah, so that this would be huge. Uh, I'm not picking them. I am picking the Niners, uh, okay. but I th- we I think we've made a, a case at least. The case for me starts with run, running the ball. For sure. Isn't that funny? It's, it's Lamar Jackson. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, it's all this it's stuff, Lamar and we're Jackson. like, run ball and tackle. That's yeah. it. <laughs> football. Tell you, you stick around football long enough, you, everybody turns into the crotchety old man yelling at the TV because the guys aren't running the ball well enough or tackling well enough. I will say personally, and I kind of hope, <laughs> as a friend of yours, I kind of hope that this lands in your lap and you get made responsible for this take because it's on your podcast. I kind of need Baltimore to win this game so that way I don't have to talk about Brock Purdy being the MVP. Christian McCaffrey MVP, join the movement. Also, yes, yes. I these are the, you, those me, are the two Tom real Brady? MVP candidates in this in this game. I it's 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 so I was all I was Dak, Tyreek, and CMC were my top three. Dak, I yeah. think, is is lost. Uh, he has fallen mm-hmm. fairly. Uh, Chris McCaffrey, you have have the Tom Brady cosign and the George Kittle cosign. Yeah. So if some Niners fan gets mad at you, you can be like, you can you don't know ball them to the end of the earth because you have yes. 
eminent ball knowers. All right. Um, I hope Ravens win just because it may, it'll make things more interesting. Because agreed. That's not Niners fans. That's not hate. But like you look so freaking dominant right now. Yeah. We I'd like to see some interest. You know. All I, right. I want to see an AFC team separate themselves. That that's kind of why I'm pulling for ball. The way uh, they. I, I said I, feel, I I believe the Ravens are the best team, but I feel like it's the Niners uh, by like a lot, and then the AFC. Yep. I I think the Chiefs, Bills, Dolphins, and Ravens are yeah. really like any I, I think of any of them could beat each other, which is yes. fun for the playoffs. And I think any of them can compete with San Francisco. Beat them right now, different proposition. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. Uh, As always... My guest is going to help me pick games uh, not going so well. I need to pick some upsets to catch up with my mom, who's dominating our league. She picked the Panthers last week. She's on a tear. Ball knower. She is true ball knower. Um, okay, so are you ready? It's just straight up. All right. It's, uh, all right. So we picked some of them, but. Uh, the Saints head to L.A. to play the 7-7 seven and seven Rams, who are favored by four. Um, this is Thursday night football. It's a good game. It I'm going good, with the Rams. I think the Rams have a top five offense right now. Yeah. That is why I am picking the Rams. Same. They, they, as long as Matt Stafford is the one taking snaps, I'm picking the Rams in a matchup like this. That's the difference in this game. I am glad. Um, obviously, this would be bad for the Seahawks, who I root for. But I am glad that America will finally watch Matt's watch him put up like a real stinker, like a Matt classic Matt Stafford, like you know, three interceptions. Uh, yeah. Time, but like he's been so good this year so i'm pleased that he is getting a national platform uh we'll yeah. see how it goes maybe maybe it'll it won't go well but he has been amazing this year yeah uh this is so i alluded to like possibly talking about this but the Bengals go to pittsburgh um mason rudolph is the quarterback for the steelers Jake Browning, who has been playing very good. The Bengals are favored by two. I'm going to take uh, the Bengals because of the quarterback play. Also because the vibes in Pittsburgh I was gonna say, this are is a terrible. Vibes this is 100% a vibes play for me. I'm taking the Bengals almost sight unseen because I can't get through a week without there being a press conference where guys are sniping at each other in Pittsburgh. Uh, George Pickens saying he didn't want to get injured blocking. Yeah, Mike not Tomlin. the best look, my friend. No, still, I like you, but you're still on your rookie deal, buddy. I don't think you get to make those kind of decisions. Don't say it out loud. Also, yeah. why are you saying this out loud? Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Bills are favored by twelve against the Chargers. Obviously, the Bills. We don't talk about that. Uh, yeah. The Seahawks must win game at Tennessee against the Titans. Tannehill. 
I don't know if that's better or worse. I think I think it's better because he looked bad at the beginning of the year, and this yeah. offensive line is awful. Um, I'm worried about this game because the Titans at home drag teams into the mud. Yes. Uh, they still have a very good front. Is I'm going to take Seattle, but well, uh, I think Gino's playing. Gino's definitely playing. Okay. All right, well then, yeah, I'm, I'm more comfortable with, with Seattle on the road if Gino's a starter. I don't feel good in general. Like you said, this is going to be an ugly game. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a Derrick Henry go sit on the ball for two and a half quarters if we can. Um, but I do think there's just enough for Seattle. And I like the way that their receivers have looked uh, when I've watched yes. them. Yes. I, I, I think that's a huge advantage in this game. We're, we're starting to see, I think, the some little inklings of what it can be at its best, especially having Jackson Smith and Jigba as somebody who can push the ball down the field. That that was yes. something that I did not um, think I would see. And, and we obviously saw that in the two-minute drive to end the game. It's a great um, group of Monday. receivers. I think it's just going to come down to whether or not they can stop this front. But Gino yeah. gets the ball out quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. The Colts go to Atlanta. The eight and six Colts go to Atlanta. Ugh, the Colts. Uh, the Falcons are favored by one at home. Oh, Heineke is playing. I already got all my Falcons anger off of my chest on Tuesday. This is a tough one. Um, Falcons, Falcons vibes are bad. Not because so bad. they're saying anything out in public, but so bad. Um, Arthur Smith right now is not my favorite coach in the NFL. I, I don't know what's going on with them the last few weeks. And obviously the touches distribution was as bad as it's been all year this past week. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can fix what ails this offense right now because it just feels like there's no confidence in the play calling. The quarterback play has obviously not been very confident, whether it's been Heineke or Ritter. Um, I don't know if that gets sorted out this week. My one fear of picking the Colts is I think, the Falcons can turn Minshew over. Um, right. But the Colts can also. Yeah, the defense is real. Over. Yeah. Uh, Ugh, I love just, this defense. These backup quarterback games are just hard to pick. Um, I need some upsets, so I'll go with the Colts here. Um, currently, the Falcons, the Texans are favored against the Browns. That might be, you know, like the not knowing the quarterback. I'm going to take the Browns right. in that one for other reasons yeah, we discussed. Uh, the Packers go to Carolina. They're favored by four and a half. I will take the Packers in this yes. one, even yeah. though Carolina just won. Good for them. Uh, Washington. I mean, you can't get any worse for Joe Barry. If, if this Panthers offense gets a get right game against Joe Barry, man. Ah. Well, they, they yeah, I would, I would, it would be a get right game because they didn't actually play that well last week. They were okay. They were a little bit better. Um, Washington on the road against the Jets. Aaron Rodgers is active. <laughs> I'm not interfacing with that at all. I've gone at least sir. I don't think I've talked. I've said his name since coming back. So I don't know. I'm not like patting myself on the back for that. I just I've, I've gotten this far, folks. Um, I'll take the Jets. That defense yeah, against Jets Sam Howell does enough. Yeah. And the Washington defense. Good lord. Yeah. At some point, I need to really do a referendum on like what's next for some of these horrible teams. Uh, we talked about the Lions. We were picking them over the Vikings and Nick Mullins. Mm-hmm. We are picking the Je- the Bucks over the CJ Beathard Beathard led Jags. Yeah. Uh, this is tricky. Arizona 
Goes to Chicago. The Bears are favored by four. Um, I'll take this as an upset. I need a few upsets. Kyler playing to keep his job. Arizona's been kind of plucky. Like, the, the talent's not there all the way. But you can see some of the bones of what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. Kyler's obviously been solid this year. I I think that this is a game that they can go and get. Obviously, I think the the Browns offensive line, which we talked about earlier in the show, helped Chicago's defense and their pass rush quite a bit. I think Kyler gets this one done. And for as much of a Justin Field supporter as I've been, we don't get enough consistently out of this yeah. offense for me to feel comfortable well, saying that he'll have decent performances or string together good performances on a week-by-week basis. Yeah, increasingly feels like Arizona is going to roll with Kyler next year instead of drafting a quarterback. A lot of financial. I think that's safe. That, yeah. That's safe. Well, it's not like Chicago where there's no, there's not a monetary reason to keep Fields. Um, in fact, they would have to pick up Fields' option. And uh, they're actually, I mean, they're in an interesting position because they have surplus draft capital, anyways, and yeah. a quarterback. And there's, they'll probably have a chance to Ooh. accumulate even more. If they were to get like a second or third for Fields, oh, and they, they got a second the, pick, oh my gosh! And you got the two picks, and yeah. I mean that is a very, and I and I really like. Uh, the phase of this defensive rebuild. Mm-hmm. It's just offensive, it feels like, you know, that they're, but they, you get a quarterback and you use your other picks to continue working on the offensive line and playmakers. It suddenly becomes a very attractive spot, in my opinion. Um, okay, so uh, I think we both picked Miami over Dallas. They're only favored by yep. one and a half at home. That actually, maybe I'm just guilty of recency bias after watching Dallas get stomped on the road, but that's. Yeah, I don't know if I, one and a, I wouldn't have guessed one and a half for that. I would have gone a little Somewhere higher. between two and a half, three and a half. I, I do think it'll be a close game. I, I think that, you know, as we described, I think it'll be a close game. I'm surprised to know that betters feel that way about it and that the books feel that way about it. Patriots go to Denver. Um, I'll take the Broncos there. Seven and seven, improving to eight and seven, staying in the playoff hunt. Uh, the <laughs> Raiders go to Kansas City. Um it's like they always weirdly no it's uh is it raiders who anyways whatever uh i like what i saw from the chiefs offense yeah against new england i think they were fine i mean the defense and the defense is held you know defense is held really well through the offensive struggles this might be the game this might be a game for this offense where we leave it feeling like okay i think they're playoff ready now we just have to stop throwing the ball to Kadarius tony we should probably stop playing Kadarius Tony, but if we have to play Kadarius Tony, we should definitely not be throwing the ball to Kadarius Tony anymore. I, I have not I don't even know. He is like um kind of like like the daughter in 24. We're like, why are <laughs> yes. you on this show, everybody? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's like so part of the program now, they can't write him off the show. And yes. there's not, you know, I don't that's such a weird pool. I don't know. This is mean. Richie um, and the Bear before he went to, uh, you know, gourmet, <laughs> gourmet dining And school. became like the best chef or best yes, employee ever in like 48 hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I can think of a character like that. He's like, uh, he's like Jubilee on the X-Men. <laughs> Yes. Everybody's got all these. Everyone in the Kansas City Chiefs has all these sick powers, and he's like, "I shoot yeah. fireworks. I wear a raincoat." Yes. <laughs> That's so mean. Okay. Uh, Eagles 
Giants. Um, Eagles are favored by 12. This feels like a let's get out some frustrations game. Please. For for the psyche of the guests on this show here, please. Brutal. Let's get, oh, it's on Christmas. Together. Oh, even better. Even um, better. And then we talked about the Niners Ravens. Oh, the Niners line has yeah. moved. They're now favored by five and a half at home. Uh, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. I get it at home. Oh, man. What a slate. All right. Deontay Lee, thank you so much for coming on. As always, um, what's your Twitter handle? People want to follow That's you. Deontay Lee FB all together. Deontay Lee FB. You can check out his work at the athletic at the athletic. Also here. Thank you as always to the fine folks at Omaha, Kristen, Kirsten Sebecki, Owen Saylor, Anthony Jimenez. You can check this podcast out on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash at Minute Kimes. We've got the full episode there as well as original content. Be doing some stuff on Ravens Niners uh, continuing there because it's such a great game. But otherwise, I will see you on the other side. <laughs>